settle down now and get comfy. You're about to sleep with a celebrity. Let your weary mind be free. And someone kind of famous who you can't see. It's time for sleeping with celebrity. Hello, sleepyheads. Welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. On this audio program, we invite our guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this program, for one bedtime, we ask them not to bring their A game, but rather their Z game. You can listen and sleep. You can simply relax. You can take a break from the stress and intensity of this world. Just ahead, we'll be sleeping with Baratunde Thurston. Baratunde is going to talk with me about ice. You hear rumors of a guy in downtown LA who has a machine that can do this for you. And you read, and you try, and you read. And maybe you buy something from Amazon, which is where we buy everything that promises to deliver clear ice, and you follow the instructions, but it doesn't produce the clear ice promised. Before all that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another program that you may opt to listen to on the Maximum Fund Network. Sleepyheads, I want to tell you about another podcast on the Maximum Fund Network. Think of how much fun one could possibly have, and that's how much fun we have on the Maximum Fun Network. And on this network, there's a podcast named Schmanners. Schmanners is a show about extraordinary etiquette for everyday occasions. Travis and Teresa McElroy talk about manners you didn't know to ask about and the historical role models you might have never thought of as having to be connected to manners. Or schmanners. They cover everything from tea parties, to George Washington Carver, to the history of absinthe, and so much more. Check them out for all of your historical etiquette needs. Manners, they say, schmanners. And now, I shall introduce my guest, Baratunde Thurston. Baratunde is a self-described futurist comedian, writer, and activist. I'm delighted that he's agreed to sleep with us, so I don't have to resent him for being so annoyingly successful in so many different pursuits. In one lane, he's an esteemed public speaker who's addressed TED Talk crowds. He's a New York Times bestselling author for How to Be Black. He was on the team that relaunched The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. He's Emmy-nominated, and he stars on the PBS program America Outdoors. He's also in the podcast lane with his How to Citizen with Baratunde. And what's even worse, I mean better, is that people I know who know Baratunde, say he's charming and delightful to hang out with. And so, Baratunde Thurston, thank you for sleeping with us tonight. Uh, John, it's good to be here. Uh, thanks for the invitation. And after experiencing your version of my life, I'm tired. And I think I'm ready to catch some Zs. Well, hold on for just a few moments, my friend. Did I leave anything out in your introduction? Have you taught dogs to speak as well, or do you save drowning kittens? The dog question is a matter of national security, for which I am legally not allowed to offer a response. Um, in terms of what's missing, I'm a founding partner and writer with Puck, uh, which people can find at puck.news, and I write twice-monthly columns there about race, technology, climate, democracy, fun things, easy things. 
do you actually have time to sleep yourself? I do. I've, I've been getting better at sleep. And maybe that's why I've been getting better at doing things. I used to fight sleep in my youth. I am not necessarily in my youth anymore. I'm in my mid-40s. So depending on your perspective, I'm young or middle-aged or old. Mm. But uh, I, I used to consider sleep to be my enemy. And I took all sorts of measures to minimize its hold on my productive, livable time. And that led to some negative consequences, a lot of acne, for one, um, and stress and constant in and out of illness and clogged nasal passages. So I'd say I get just over seven hours a night. In fact, I don't say that the little surveillance ring that I have attached to my finger to tell me how I'm doing when I don't trust myself to know, mm -hmm. it told me that uh, in the past quarter, I got an average of seven hours and 11 minutes per night. Do you always sleep in the same position every night? Horizontally, yes. Yes, I do. Yes. Are you a side, a back, a stomach perhaps? So I am not a stomach sleeper ever. That is the suffocation position, and mm. it really undermines, like it's too much rest, yeah. I think, ultimate rest. Permanent rest. So I am a uh, back sleeper in general. However, uh, my wife is opposed to the back position because that is also the snoring position, which affects her. So I become a side sleeper when interrupted in the middle of the night by an aggressive tap or shake or scream uh, into my face to say, hey, I can't sleep. Great, that makes two of us now. Right. What's the best night of sleep you've ever had? Whoa. I mean, that's epic. Um, I was on a boat on the Mediterranean and floating sleep is among the best set of sleeps I've ever had. Just anything on a boat or a train, which kind of rocks you like a baby. And so I think it was a summer trip, being out in the middle of nowhere, not being able to see land, which is quite alarming until it isn't. And then to be in the pitch black and to see the Milky Way and to go to sleep with that kind of wind down was just fantastic. Great sleep that night. Do you find it's easier to fall asleep outdoors when you're in production on your series, America Outdoors, or is it easier to sleep when you're in your own bed? I can sleep anywhere. It's one of my great gifts. I can sleep in a moving car. I can sleep at a loud bar. I can sleep wherever you or I are. I'm trying to force the poem there. Um, so very recently, as in within the past week, I fell asleep out, outside. It was my job. I was waiting for the sunrise and they, we were setting a scene uh, for me in this really beautiful location under the stars and the sun comes up and it paints the rocks behind you. And I was out for over an hour and it was so peaceful. And then just yesterday, I took a nap in the front yard, just laid down in the grass at home and the birds were chirping and it's this little patch of softness and I fell asleep. So I like sleep in whatever location I can get it. You're a connoisseur. You're an expert. <laughs> and, and I study, you know, my, my wife is actually much better at sleep than I am. Mm. She does it more. She's more committed to it than I am. And so if anything, I've probably learned how to sleep better from her. That, that battle with sleep really ended when we became part of each other's lives and I saw the benefits of sleep firsthand. Well, as, as our listeners begin to, uh, to get situated and find their own comfortable positions as they merge with their, their beds or sofas as they listen to this, we're going to be talking about ice today. And tell me about your relationship to ice. Why, why is it that when we asked you what you wish to speak of, one of the things you mentioned was ice. Mm. There's a lot of 
possible origin stories to my appreciation of ice and the pursuit of a more perfect version of it. Maybe it goes back to Slurpees as a kid and, and the idea that you could have ice, but you could also eat it. It was colorful and it kind of transformed into something that wasn't ice. The nerd in me. Yeah. Would you say that the ice in a, in a Slurpee is a liquid or a solid or a gel? So that's perfect. I think you're getting at the deeper fascination. Ice is a state of being in between, you know, it's water in a different form. It can come from or become water. It's in a, a state of transition. And uh, it's, you know, represents water on a spectrum in so many different ways. And I think I like the malleability of it. A slushy, a slurpy is trying to be something and emerging from something else. You know, it kind of in the great beginning started as water or perchance ice. And it gets put in the machine and ground down to such a small size that it's not the ice we know. It becomes potable, mm. drinkable ice. You shouldn't be able to drink ice, you drink water, but it's not a full liquid. So it's occupying this kind of quantum superposition between liquid and solid. And when it hits that brain freeze, it makes you think, is it a gas? It just transferred through bone, through flesh, through nerves to generate a feeling so physically far from its source. Yeah, Slurpees are a whole thing. So possibly okay. my fascination with ice began with the brain freeze of too many childhood Slurpees. Mm. Uh, but it evolved years and years ago. I had a, the great fortune to interact for a television production with a man named Wim Hof who is pretty famous now, but wasn't back in 2009. And he calls himself the Iceman. He's known for cold plunges and sitting in very cold environments and doing these cold baths to meditate and breathe and reset the immune system and the nervous system. And he trained me over the phone to be able to sit in a tub of ice as he had when he set the world record at the time. Uh, my job was to do it poorly on television and create kind of a gag moment. Oh, look what the Iceman can do. Look what Baratunde can't, ha, ha, ha. Ah. That is how television is often made. Uh, but Wim had other ideas and he says, I think you can do this, I believe in you. And so he coached me over the phone with some techniques and some breathing exercises. And uh, our production team uh, illegally acquired uh, and used a hotel room at the, uh, the Standard in the Meatpacking District of New York City. They had big, beautiful bathtubs. They filled the tub with ice and water. I got in, but I did not play my assigned part. I stayed in, and I stayed, and I stayed, and I became one with the cold, and it was really, I think I lasted eight or nine minutes. Wow. You weren't the patsy that you were set up to be. No, no. I'd become something else. I'd become a tiny version of the Iceman, just for a moment. Wim Hof was born April 20th, 1959. That feels and, important. And he lives in Sittard, Netherlands. He's known as the Iceman, but that is different from Val Kilmer in the film Top Gun, where he played the Iceman. Also different from George Gervin of the American Basketball Association and the National Basketball Association, whose nickname was the Iceman. These are three completely different human beings. Yes, and, and not to be confused with William the Refrigerator Perry, also a former right. NFL player, um, which, you know, obviously refrigerators don't create ice. No. Uh, but it feels related. It is, it is related. So is your affinity for ice based on your experiences on television emulating Wim Hof? It's um, in part, yes. But the, the current deeper fascination is more internal than external. 
I, uh, I appreciate a good cocktail mm. and I've learned to make good cocktails. Uh, it's something I pride myself on. I enjoy hosting. I enjoy making drinks for friends. I enjoy making drinks for myself and experimenting with different combinations. And the ice is a really important element in a cocktail. And I have been offended, attacked, undermined by people claiming to make cocktails and then destroying that cocktail by serving it with subpar ice. And so if someone's gonna give me an old fashioned and they're gonna build that old fashioned around, might as well be shaved ice from a Slurpee, mm. that is not an old fashioned. If you're gonna stick that cup into one of those ice chip machines from a hotel hallway, and then take a big hunk of orange and muddle it and add a cherry for no good reason, um, that is not an old fashioned. And that is a terrible, terrible cocktail. That's a slap in the face put into a glass is what that is. It is, it is, it, is, it should be a crime. And yeah. in, in just places in the world, it is. But we don't live in a just world, most of us. No, no. Yeah. So how do you make good ice for cocktails? Making good ice starts with appreciating good ice. And so I think the ice I prefer for most cocktails, some cocktails do want more of the, the ground, the small, the pebble size, the shaved ice that, that can work for a mint julep quite well. Um, but I'm a fan of a big cube mm. or big sphere or just a hunk of ice a slab a slab an iceberg i see uh, uh, an ice burguito you know if you wanted a small version that would be an ice burguito burguito yeah. yes yes from Un the spanish berg. language sure yes so, um, so clear ice is mm. what we're going for and you know food and drink aren't just you know the experience of them isn't just based on the 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 taste and the flavor it's based on the scent the smell it's based on the story about it it's based on the visual you could serve fine dining outside of a home depot bucket and it wouldn't taste as good as if it were plated properly even if it's the exact same ingredients and so a hunk of clear ice elevates a cocktail over a hunk of frosted foggy ice, all other things being the same. So, so making that ice becomes yeah. a challenge in my life and a pursuit to elevate my own cocktails and make them better by just changing the ice. How do you make clear ice? You spend time, mm -hmm. you spend money, you spend resources, you travel the world, uh, all through YouTube, it turns out. Oh, okay. And you read theories on Reddit. You talk to bartenders who prefer to be called mixologists. You hear rumors of a guy in downtown LA who has a machine that can do this for you. Mm. And you read and you try and you read. And maybe you buy something from Amazon, which is where we buy everything, that promises to deliver clear ice. And you follow the instructions, but it doesn't produce the clear ice promised. And you wonder, is it the water? Is it too mineral? Is it me? Is it the barometric pressure? Is it God? Oh. And you keep trying. And then a friend says, you don't need all that. You just need a cooler. And what you really want to do is have a huge freezer that a cooler could fit into. Otherwise, this makes no sense. So now you're like a you beverage cooler, like like a like a beverage cooler, like a fridge that you might put in a garage. Okay. For long-term storage, like a meat fridge. Right. Um, and, and you start understanding the principles of these failed experiments on your part. What happens in traditional freezers is they operate too quickly and the ice forms from the outside in. And right. air gets trapped 
inside the ice. And that air is what creates that frosted, that white, that cloudy look. Spiky look. So the theory is that you want to acknowledge that there will be air, but you want to direct the freezing so that it's not from the outside in, but from the top down. And you then freeze in kind of a vertical situation by pushing all those bubbles to the bottom, separating them from the final cube or sphere or icebergito that you wish to create. And that involves a cooler. Mm. It can be a small cooler, it can be foam. It doesn't have to be something very expensive, but you need depth. You need insulation so that the cold can only come from the exposed top. And that means the cold is now falling down from a single direction and it pushes those air bubbles to the bottom. That's the principle of all high-end electronic clear ice makers. It's the principle of factory level clear ice makers and it's the principle of something each of us can do in our own freezers. We don't have to invest in a big walk-in freezer. We just need a little foam and a little patience. So are you making the clear ice in a regular ice cube tray? This is a great question. I have not yet succeeded in doing that. Uh, one of the products which I foolishly purchased promised that it could essentially operate inside of a typical ice cube tray. There is under each cube mold a circular hole and you are to place that ice tray atop a cooler rectangular cube structure that sits atop it and leave room for it to push that air down through that hole. In my case, that did not happen. So instead, I got rid of the cube tray and I just filled the whole thing with water and let it do its directional freezing. The whole cooler you filled with the whole cooler and then when i and let's talk proportions here so okay. we're talking maybe four to five inches deep you know four to five inches kind of across uh maybe eight to nine inches wide mm -hmm. and four to five inches deep so this is modest size you can think of three egg cartons stacked on each other okay there's still room in a, in a typical freezer if you move the chicken out of the way um so then uh, I'm presented with a giant brick that is you know, fused inside of this cooler structure. And I sit it out on the counter. I let it melt a little, add some hot water to the surrounds. It takes over a day for this amount to freeze. Depending on the strength of your freezer, it may take two days. Mm. Um, but as I slide it out, I can see there's two inches of clarity on one side of this brick. Mm. And, and this takes me to a memory, uh, San Francisco circa 2013 Mission District. I had a company based in that neighborhood for a while and I would go meet with my colleagues and there was a man with a giant block of ice who stood outside the bar where he worked and he had a chainsaw and he was using that chainsaw to carve up and make the clear artisanal ice. He was the most ridiculous hyper stereotype of a hipster barman you could imagine. I didn't have to imagine him, I met him. Goatee or handlebar mustache? Uh, both, that's, that's we're, we're turning up to 11 or 12 on the dial here. Yeah, yeah. And it would be fair to ask, you know, is it safe to operate a chainsaw on a city sidewalk? Is it legal? He was not concerned with such questions. He was operating on a higher plane with a deeper purpose and mission. And if someone were to lose an arm or a finger or the tail of a nearby dog, it'd be okay because he's serving the ice. Was he on any kind of drugs or just the drug known as hubris? I think hubris was plenty, plenty of substance for him to abuse. But he inspired me. And so in my own small way, in my later moment, years after the fact, nearly a decade to the day after the fact, probably on an April 20th, I um, 
I had my slab of ice. I had my little kitchen counter. And I had a hammer and a flathead screwdriver. And I went to work. Mm. Knock, knock, knocking the ice, chiseling, carving, spraying ice chips and water to and fro, making a ginormous mess, but retrieving enough hunks of this ice to preserve in my freezer so that when people came over, I could serve my own icebergian clear ice cubes. And what did you use to cut the ice with? Oh, I apologize for being unclear. I carved the ice into random sized chunks by violently hammering it with the flathead screwdriver hitting from the rear with the mm -hmm. hammer. I uh, employed a bread knife on the initial phase of the operation to score the ice and try to saw through it as if you were gonna grill a fish. So I'd create these seams by sawing partially through and then I would chisel and mallet it. I'd hammer away at those seams so I could try to control the break. I mostly failed to control the break, but the chaos is part of the, the beauty. My initial intention was ice cubes. That's why I bought the kit. Mm. What I got instead was art, really mm. crystal clear, slow melting art. And, and this brings me to something that I, if you're still with me, um, sure. could have explained earlier, why clear ice? Why clear ice? Before we get to white clear ice, let me ask you about the implements you used for cutting, because it seems yes. like there were lots of implements. Yes. And what I wonder is, had you learned that all those different implements were necessary, or was it more a situation where you didn't know what the hell you were doing and just winging it? It was closer to the latter, but having lived four decades and some change at the time of this moment mm. i had some idea what the hell i was doing i had misappropriated tools many times earlier in my life i had found myself doing things i quote unquote shouldn't have mm. um, and, and so i applied that lifetime of knowledge to this moment i had rudimentary understandings of fluid dynamics and basic physics and geometry uh, from high school, of course. And so I knew the ice would continue to change its state and melt. The sliding all over the counter mm. felt like that might not be an ideal situation to wield sharp objects with great force. Um, and so I employed uh, a towel. I put the towel on the counter. I put the ice on the towel and that could hold it in position. And for the whack. I remember great artists um, like Michelangelo and, and I thought of them as I carved and I wondered, could I produce something as beautiful as, as what the greats did? And that kept me going. That kept me going. Yeah. Okay. So why the importance of clear ice? Sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another program here on the Maximum Fun Network, the network where we have the maximum amount of fun that is both permissible and advisable. This podcast is called Depression Mode with John Moe. Yes, it is hosted by me. It's an interview program, but the point here is not to induce sleep. It's to induce enlightened conversation about mental health. I talk to people like Jamie Lee Curtis, David Sedaris, the U.S. Surgeon General, and more about their own mental health journeys and topics that really matter. We get honest. We get real. We try to change the world. We try to get more conversations going in the world so more people can be helped. And... There are more jokes than you might expect. Depression Mode with John Moe. I'm John Moe. You can listen to that program. So why the importance of clear ice? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know any other way to say this. It's uh, just arrogance is mm. is a primary driver. It looks better, and uh, I'm, I'm a judgy person, and I, I want something that looks better than the other thing. So if I can do that, I'm going to do that. However, there's also a functional advantage. Clear ice, remember, means less air in the ice. Right. So it's literally more ice, right? Air is the absence of ice, the absence of water, thus the absence of ice. So if you have air in your ice cube, the volume of water slash ice is by definition less. It's a matter the of foggier savings. the ice cube, the less ice you have. The clearer the ice cube, the more ice you have, which means it maintains its coldness for longer, which means it dilutes your drink more slowly, which means you get drunk faster. Mm. Well, so the goal is not so much the aesthetics, but the durability of the frozen state? It's both. That's the beauty of it. You know, ice is frozen. It's solid and liquid. Its value in the cocktail, when clear, is both aesthetic and functional. The aesthetics of a clear ice cube floating in a cocktail served in a tumbler, to me, is undeniable. The idea that you could nurse that drink for longer or be affected by it sooner <laughs> is, uh, is an is equal benefit. And because what you don't want to have happen, what I don't want to have happen as someone who has taken far too seriously the act of cocktail making, is I don't want my cocktail to change merely due to the passage of time. Mm. And if you've balanced your drink and then you chill it with garbage ice, within minutes, it's not the drink you made anymore. It's a watered down version of that. It is a watered down version, exactly. You mentioned that you were a judgy person. Have you always been a judgy person? I think so. I think so. There's a lot wrong with the world and I have a lot of opinions about it. Um which I don't often keep to myself, and I'm okay with that, because someone needs to know they're wrong. And uh, that's why I have a mouth, I guess. But I'm also, uh, I appreciate learning, and, and as committed as I am to ways that I think of as better, uh, I'm willing to be corrected, I'm willing to look to history to learn other lessons about how things might be done. And just talking to you at this hour has brought to mind a memory from America Outdoors, mm. uh, where I traveled to Maine for an episode that has yet to air. We were there during a very cold, and I got to participate in an ice harvest, oh. which I did not know was a thing outside of the animated documentary Frozen. It's very much a thing. I live in Minnesota, and uh, there's there was a, a large booming industry of of chopping up the ice from the lakes because we have yes. over ten thousand of them, and then distributing those chunks of ice to ice boxes around the region and around the country. Absolutely. So we documented, you know, the main history of the same. And there used to be ice barons and ice kings and ice millionaires uh, based on selling access to cold in the era before mechanical refrigeration was possible. So some of the experience on this shoot was documenting a moment of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. This is an annual event that happens. There is a community that is preserved in the ice house in the pond next to which uh, it sits where the ice comes from, but there is some practical value. And they will tell you that the fishermen, the lobstermen, the, the, uh, the oyster farmers, and they go out for hours or days at a time. They prefer 
the ice from the harvest. You know, they will stack these in an ice house in February and they will last until the 4th of July. Mm. Because when you think about what a pond is, and let us remember our attempts to make clear ice at home yes. in a cooler with some depth the so that bubbles the coming air is only exposed to one surface. Yes. So the pond is just a larger version of what I attempted and succeeded at doing in my own home because the soil around it that contains it, that's the insulation. So the cold is really coming in most rapidly from the air exposed surface, pushing all those air bubbles down and creating much more dense ice than we are capable of in typical commercial ice operations. And so I went there and they scored the surface what of is the th pond. What does that mean? That is this idea, what I did with my bread knife when I created those seams. Sure. And if anyone here is familiar with grilling steak or fish or chicken, often you score it to have the flavor get in, to have the skin not explode on you and uh, allow some relief and it creates a nice aesthetic as well. You get those grill marks. Right. Um, so they score the surface of the pond with some equipment and then they go out there with a saw, a very long you know, 10 foot saw and with essentially a chisel and they work that ice and they saw and they break and they move it to the chute big team effort and uh, and they stack it all up in a way that produces superior ice to the typical so as seriously as i take my cocktails there are hunters and people who fish and uh, people who appreciate history who also take it seriously have you ever visited or stayed in an ice hotel and if so did they serve good ice i have not i've never even visited one i've think I've read about one in Greenland or Iceland and it sounded novel, mm. but no, I've not had the experience of, of living inside of ice. All right. Um, there's an outdoors show called Alone where individuals are dropped in remote parts of the world by themselves and it's a contest of survival. The person who can survive the longest wins a large monetary prize. And most of the survivalists prioritize three things, building a shelter, making a fire, and locating a source of fresh water. Mm. If you were on this program, Baratunde Thurston, would making ice be more or less important than fire or shelter or fresh water? I think it'd be the most important thing I could do with my limited time. Yeah. 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 You know, that ice, um, when placed in my mouth, becomes water. Mm -hmm. That ice, when stacked appropriately, becomes shelter. Mm. And so that ice is already two of the three things that are most essential. Um, and as for the fire, I think I would just use the lighter that I snuck in to the shoot. Uh, all right. All right. Um, would you be concerned that bears or wolverines or a moose would be attracted to the ice that you created or brought? If wolverines was involved, I would ask for a selfie. Um, and then I'd probably use the funds from that to get myself out of this precarious situation. I see. Yeah. Do you have thoughts on the purity of ice tea versus ice cube? I mean, the hip hop artists, not the, mm. not the object or beverage. I would take ice cube. Okay. The person. Um, I think I could teach him to make ice tea uh, in the manner of my liking. And then I'm sure he has additional value uh, above and beyond the making of iced tea. Mm. So that just feels like it's all upside for me to take ice cube over a glass of iced tea. When you made your own ice with the the towel and the the whacking and the butter yes. knife and all these things, it was a it was a bread knife. Bread the knife. butter knife will not 
I repeat, a, a, a bread butter knife, knife Good. will not help you at all. Right, right. That's an important distinction. Yeah. Um, when you made these these irregular shaped chunks, um, were you just were you just not hung up on the idea of the cube, or did you just not feel like making a cube? Yeah. So this is where we we meet at the intersection of expectation, uh, disappointment, uh, accommodation, and ultimately evolution. Mm. It's a busy intersection, yeah. no stop signs. And so all these vehicles on these roads collided in that moment when I realized I'm not gonna get my clear ice cube. And I had to ask myself, what am I really here for? Mm. Why am I here? You had an existential ice moment. I did. And, you know, am I here to better myself? Am I here to contribute to human progress? Am I here to pay off family debts? Or am I here to make clear ice, regardless of its form? Mm. And because there was no alternative, I came to the conclusion that I was here to make clear ice, regardless of its form. I see. And I embraced the only choice I had. Uh, a behavior known as survival. And I, uh, I looked upon these oddly shaped slivers and chunks and orbs, and I saw beauty instead of disappointment. Mm. And I, I saw a story, which is as important as the drink that these malformed cubes would go into. And the story was each drink is now unique. Each drink will have a slightly different flavor profile within the acceptable range of what I'm going for here. And each person to experience that will get something custom, something bespoke, something one of a kind, something that if it were 18 months ago, I might have minted as an NFT and sold for far too much real money. Right. If the goal is to have a cold drink mm -hmm. that can that you can feel the effects of in a hurry, why not simply put your bottle of liquor in the fridge or the freezer and just drink out of it as you would a milk carton? Right, right. The appearance of prudence, modesty, and reason still have value in this society. You know, why make a cocktail at all? Why not just pour the alcohol straight from a, a handle, right? A, a jug, yeah, directly into one's gullet. In fact, why go through the esophagus at all? Why not load up ethanol and inject it straight into your bloodstream? Intravenous delivery of the same substance. We could have an alcohol patch, mm. much more efficient, but efficiency is far less satisfying than a total experience. And so we get the effect more slowly. And as we prepare and as we chop and as we sip, we talk, we gather, we make eye contact, we flirt, we live. We find the dependency that on our fellow human beings that we sometimes try to disavow through the actions of our everyday lives. It actually slows us down. And an additional layer of beauty to this is when you go down the path of pursuing clear ice, you realize it can also work in a glass of sparkling water with lime. Mm. You can have it with a La Croix. A La Croix, sure. It doesn't actually have anything to do with alcohol at all. Clearly, you dream about making perfect ice. And thus, I have to ask, do you have nightmares about making imperfect ice? None that I can recall. Um, there are times when I've had a bad night's sleep. Mm. And I wonder, was I dreaming of bad ice? 
Or was I just watching the news too close to my bedtime? We can never know. Some questions can never be answered. That's one of them. You talk about uh, embracing the irregularity for the uniqueness of the different ice forms, the irregular ice forms that, that you created. Have you done that with other aspects of your life where you've uh, been forced to or opted to embrace chaos and irregularity and find truth and beauty therein? Yes. Yes. There's, um, I'm a Virgo, so I like to be and generally am uh, correct. And I like to be right. I like to be on time. I like to be knowing and in charge and feel like I'm good or doing good. And that is not always the case. And so I can resist that. That's the instinct. Work harder, force it, beat myself up when I mess up, or I can embrace that irregularity. I can embrace that nonconformity and say, well, what is of value in the experience? It's not all bad. Even bad ice isn't all bad. It does the job. It serves its purpose. It's most of our experience. Mm. The pursuit of clear ice gives me a goal, gives me some motivation, gives me the occasional whiff of perfection. But life can't be just about clear ice, just about perfection, just about consistency, because it's in the mistakes and the inconsistency and the errors where we find some of our deepest, most meaningful experiences. It's the friends you make along the way. Or the money. It could be the money you make along the way. That's also applicable. What's the best drink for ice? If we're talking alcoholic beverages, it's the old fashioned. And that's a drink that, contrary to popular understanding, doesn't have to involve whiskey. Oh. An old fashioned is merely a spirit with sugar of some kind, bitters, ice, and possibly a garnish. I prefer a thin, slice of orange peel with the zest. But you could, if you were some sort of monster, use a cherry. Um, And I make room for monsters in this world because they have hearts too. Mm. So a mezcal old fashioned is a beautiful thing with whatever bitters you use might add just a dash of color and the clarity of the ice whether it's a cube or a sphere or a tiny mountain range, will bounce that light and transmit that color suddenly differently along its edges. And the time you're taking admiring the view won't undermine the drink with too much dilution. If you're making an old fashioned, is it necessary to hold on to antiquated ideas of how society ought to work while you drink it or make it? It is an unfortunate but necessary condition for embracing the drink fully. Mm. Otherwise, you are what we might have called in the 1990s a a poser. Right. And you really don't want to be that. So yes, when I indulge in old-fashioned, am I saying that women deserve to be paid less? Possibly. Just for for the duration of the drink. Just for the, am I rolling back the clock on civil rights of all kinds? Am I forcing mail to be delivered by men on ponies? Yes. Yeah. But it's worth it. It's, if it's a good enough drink. Yeah. Baratunde Thurston, thank you so much for talking with us about ice. Thank you for letting me chill out with you. Well, sleepyheads. I hope you enjoyed learning about ice as much as I did, which was a lot. You know, something I like to do at the end of my day 
is make a mental catalog of things that I experienced and or learned. So if you don't mind, I'm going to make a list of takeaways from my conversation with Baratunde Thurston right now, while it's fresh in my mind. One, the appearance of prudence, modesty, and reason still have value in our society. Two, slurpees are a slippery slope to a lifelong obsession with perfecting ice. Three, every drink with ice has a story. Four, you can always spot a monster. They're the ones who put cherries in their drinks. And lastly, if you have trouble sleeping, you may want to sleep on a boat while floating in the Mediterranean. Okay. Ah, I'm going to turn in myself. Thank you for sleeping with me and Baratunde Thurston. You can follow Sleeping with Celebrities on both Twitter and TikTok using the handle at sleepwithcelebs. Over on Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music provided by The Winterbowers. Social media assistance by Charlie Moe. Our program was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. Sleeping with Celebrities is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Night-night. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist-owned. Audience-supported.